Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. As we step out of lockdown and isolation and cast the athleisure wear aside, we come into a moment in fashion that celebrates colour and joy. It's time to express ourselves. It's time to be seen. So this is Style Stories Season 7, a series which continues to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but with a celebration of colourful and camp styles that ask bigger questions of our Australian identity. And if expressing ourselves and being seen is important, I've gotten a whole lot more visual and released a mini documentary on YouTube and Instagram that helps answer these style questions and tell the story of the colours of camp in Australia. Today, I'm chatting to Kim Bishop, costume designer and relative royalty in the world of Australian theatre. Whilst Kim has worked behind the scenes on all the big shows to grace our stages, think The Boy From Oz, Jesus Christ Superstar, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's Kim's attention to detail and careful consideration of the subject that make him the star. When it comes to his characters, Kim wants his costumes to tell you the whole story, but it's his style to tell it with truth, passion and a little bit of pizzazz. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Kim's story. Um, so, Kim, thank you so much for joining me today uh, for Style Stories. As you're aware, um, this season is about exploring the performative nature of fashion and how it potentially intersects with a sense of Australian identity. And so for me to be able to uh, interview one of Australia's great treasures of costume design uh, is a real treat. So I really appreciate you um coming on board today uh, and <laughs> especially because you know you're as a costume designer like your main get up is to uh tell a story through through wardrobe and through clothing and in, in a very um extravagant and explicit way uh so you know I'm really curious about how you how you do that and how you translate that but before we get into that as, as I do with all my interviews, I, want, I would like to start with your story. And I want to know if we're talking about Australian identity, did you grow up in Australia and what did that look like for you? Well, I grew up in um, a beachside suburb of Melbourne called Bo Morris, which yes. mum and dad do after the Second World War. It was sand dunes and tea tree then, and this smart suburb sort of grew up around them. But um, it was always a sort of a it was a bit of an artist colony, you know, like the Heidelberg School painters actually painted off the cliffs in Bo Morris. And it was, you know, it's an interesting area. And um, uh, Dad was what was known as a ticket writer originally. He ended up as a display, you know, they call it visual, visual merchandising now. So, yeah. but he was a dis- the head of the display department. And um, so he always had paintbrushes to play with. And, you know, he was very into fashion um, because he worked in a menswear store, you know. Um, and mum, in fact, mum used to make shorts for me as a little boy out of the leftovers from the tailoring of Leviathan menswear in the city, you know, dad's, where dad worked. So I've always had sewing around me and I've always had art around me. And, um, I think that's sort of where it came from. 
Yeah, so it may obviously a really strong correlation back to, you know, wh- where you've landed. Um, and, and in terms of the, the kind of connection to your dad's work, do you remember being quite fascinated with what he did as, as a little boy? Were you? Oh, look, I was. I was. Um, in fact, I can remember going into his, you know, into his office a lot. Um, and on, you know, the, the Moomba procession in Melbourne, we would be invited up to the, like the third floor windows of the Leviathan building where the shop was and we'd look down on it and we'd see, you know, often we were more, as kids, we were more interested in what was going on around us rather than the actual parade. You know, like you'd see all the tailoring stuff and the the shop fittings and it was really, you know, it was quite fun as a kid to go in there on Moomba Day. Yeah. And were you part of a big clan? Did you did you have a lot of brothers and sisters? Sister. I have a younger sister. So it's just mum and dad and my sister and me. Um, but it was a very happy childhood in, in lovely beachside by Morris. <laughs> obviously you need to get quite creative um, and explorative in your role. Uh, did you, were you that, was storytelling and that sense of big imagination uh, part of who you were always? Um, I think so. I think so. I, I can, I don't think I ever thought I could make a living out of doing costumes for theatre. I actually did my tertiary training in youth work. Um, but during all that time, I was working backstage in a theatre restaurant. And that sort of eventually took over. I did work in youth work for a while, but the sort of backstage theatre thing took over eventually. Um, and I never did any actual training as a costume designer and never went to NIDA or anything. Um, I've learned on the job, which is sort of part of my sort of part of my power, if you want to call it that, because I know what things, how things are made and I know what happens backstage and um, how quick changes work and, you know, that's sort of my background before I became a designer. So mm. I was a head of wardrobe, I was a dresser, still am a dresser occasionally and it's great. Um, <laughs> I like to do, I remember somebody saying, you're a designer, why do you keep dressing? And I said, well, I want to see what other designers do. I want to see what happens backstage and on different shows and, with different designers, and I find that really interesting because if you just, you know, do your own thing, you get a bit blinkered, I think. You, mm. you don't learn stuff and there's always stuff to learn. Yeah. And and did you learn sewing just by hand? Like, you know, you, you didn't have any formal training in sewing either? Very, I, did a, I did a quick course, a commercial course in sewing at one stage, but really I think mum taught me a lot. Um, but I... After the theatre restaurant, I ended up as a dresser at Her Majesty's Theatre. Her Majesty's Theatre in Melbourne had been closed for a very long time and they opened it with Guys and Dolls with Nancy Hayes and the late Ricky May. And um, Anthony Waller was his first first time out of um, the opera. Um, Now, of course, he's a big music theatre star. Um, And they needed dresses. The theatre had been dark for so long and um, I ended up as a dresser there. And that's how I sort of started. And... Through there, I ended up at um, Bob Murphy Costumes, which was wonderful, and he taught me more than anybody else. Um, Bob Murphy was an old dancer who um, ended up in costume making, and it was his uh, workroom. We never called it a studio then. Now, you know, people who work in sewing called it their sewing studio. It was a workroom <laughs> and a very old-fashioned one, and it was fabulous. I learned so much. I'd sit there sewing all day and listening to the tailors going, you know, or listening to the other people. So that's how I learned. And it was in Flinders Lane in Melbourne when Flinders Lane was the rag trade area. 
now long gone, but I caught the very last bit of the rag trading, Flinders Lane, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. It sounds like you had um, a, a fairly idyllic kind of uh, upbringing, you know, in this lovely artistic community, you know, falling into your parents' footsteps uh, in some ways. But I know that you also are a very well-travelled man. Um, and I, what I want to know is, what what parts of that small community or did you hold on to? Like what part of um, being Australian do you feel like you got from your childhood that you kind of carried with you as you started to, to kind of explore the world? No, really. I suppose, you know, it's a sense of home. Um, and I, I really did love travelling. <clears throat> I love touring with shows. It was part of my life for so long. But it's also lovely to come home, you know, and, and I think it's a, Australians have sort of a can-do attitude. Um, it's very easy going here. It's she'll be right. You know, we'll work that out. Often it's, you know, in America you get that, we'll negotiate about this, you know, and, and I found in Britain it was often, no, um, that's too big a problem. We won't. But Australians tend to just solve it or just work it out themselves or she'll be right, mate, sort of attitude. And I think I took that with me a lot. And how do you think that might translate in your work? Well, it's it's like I'm not afraid to do some as a designer. Um, I don't just draw a, a beautiful picture. In fact, my drawings look a bit more like um, construction drawings rather than art. I mean, they, they are good, but they're not. Some, some designers do art and mine are a bit like construction drawings. But I, I don't just do that. I'll know how to make it or I'll know how that will progress to the next costume. Um, so it's sort of, I'm problem solving all the time um, and I like doing that. And do you I think like, that I like to know what the other departments are doing too, like how that colour will translate on stage when the lighting's on it. Um, things like that intrigue me or how the microphone will fit into the costume, um, whereas a lot of designers don't get that um, sort of backstage thing, which is what I like to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I have heard you actually talk about that before and even in your bio on your website, you you know, you talk about the fact that your costumes aren't just about these beautiful creations but there's a lot of practicality and a lot of thought that goes into yeah. how they're actually going to move and what they're going, what they practically need to do functionally. Uh, and do you, would you credit that to, like, that mindset to your success? And part of it, yes. And I think I learned a lot of that off Bob Murphy. That was his thing. Because he was an ex-dancer doing costumes, he knew how they had to move. He knew that backstage you had to do, you know, a quick change and everything had to be there to, to make that work. Yeah. So and, and so speaking of quick moves, I know that you um, you toured for 10 years with Torval and Dean. Is that right? Yes, that's correct, around the world. <laughs> it was Tell really me. I loved it. Yeah. It was, can, you, can you tell us, share some stories about what that was like? It was wonderful because, you know, I, it's great to work in a place. Often as a tourist, you just go there and you see it. But when you work there, you, you get to know the locals. You, you actually enjoy the city that you're in. And some of them, I mean, some of them were only in for a minute. We do, um, through America and Canada, we did one-night stands where um, – We'd play ice venues that had an ice floor already 
and you get in there in the morning at 8am, set up the show, do the show, pack it all up and put it in the truck and then you get on a bus with sleeping compartments and you overnight you travel to the next show. Pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could do it now, but then I loved it and it was fantastic. Yeah. So, so can there'll be a few listeners that might not understand the Torval and Dean reference. I grew up in the 80s, so I'm fully on board. But um, uh, do you want to just explain who they were and why they might have been such a phenomenon at the time? They were um, two English skaters, ice skaters, dance ice dancers from um, Nottingham, and they just sparked the world. I mean, it's amazing. They were huge stars in Australia. We have no ice skating stars in Australia. <laughs> it's like foreign to us, and yet they were mega stars. Um, and they're still they're quite you know they're still quite stars in in um, Great Britain now. They they do a thing called Dancing on Ice, which is like our Dancing with the Stars, but it's on ice, and they become personalities, you know, rather than ice. They still skate a little bit, but. Um, they, they were quite a phenomenon, a worldwide phenomenon, phenomenon at the time. And what do you think that says about the time that they were so phenomenal? Like what, what, why do you think they kind of hit a nerve with like the, the feeling of the time? I think it was just, you know, two young people that, you know, became Olympic champions. And they were the, the first people uh, the first ice dancers ever to get perfect scores in the ice skating. Like they got a perfect score, which had never happened before. But in terms of the actual visual outward presentation, you know, if this season is about talking about performative fashion and Australian identity, you know, the words camp and kitsch do kind of come up in, in that conversation. Um, and I, in preparing for our interview, I was thinking there's not not, not much, like nothing more camp or slash or kitsch than Torval and Dean, you know, if you think of them as ice dancers in these spangly costumes. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, they didn't actually do very much that sparkled. They did a little bit, but they were very, um, at that stage, they were very sort of modern dance ensemble in a way during that phase that I worked with them. And yeah. in, interestingly enough, in New York, we were, it's the only ice dancers that have ever been reviewed by the dance critic of the New York Times. Usually it's, you know, the ice shows, you know, um, yeah. but they actually became, you know, serious dancers, um, which I found very interesting. But um, since then I have done a lot of, you know, spangled, sparkly costumes. I mean, <laughs> at, the, at the moment I've just designed um, The Wedding Singer, um, the musical, the, the, the old uh, film, and um, it's reopening again since COVID um, in Sydney and then comes to Melbourne and then goes off to Perth. And um, that's very 1980s, so much colour, so much sparkle and so many shoulder pads. <laughs> Why do you think... Kitsch, well, kitsch. <laughs> you know, it may not be Australian, you know, set in Australia, but we are good at doing craziness. <laughs> Why? Why do you think um, the 80s held on to that kind of look so heavily? I think, well, the 80s were like sort of, it was over, the, you know, think of Joan Collins and Dynasty and, you know, it was that um, opulent time where bigger was better, you know, bigger and more opulent and more, you know, spending and, you know, it was the first time that we saw, you know, 
um, T-shirts with big brand names on them. You know, you wouldn't be seen in one now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or have they come back? Versace <laughs> jeans, you know, to show that buckle, you know, yeah. that the label on the back was the thing to do. You know, I wouldn't wear Versace jeans now. It's like so wrong. But, yeah, <laughs> it's that overspend of the 80s, I think. Yeah. So you, you did personally partake in it? Well, uh, yes. <laughs> it was so fashionable. <laughs> well, we were then, but not now. <laughs> and do you th- did you have a particular international flair to to the way that you dressed at the time? Or- uh, I think I probably did because uh, we were working overseas, and particularly in London, there was a lot of stuff that I'd never seen before. And of course, it's before internet buying. You know, mm. you, different places around the world had different out, different cost, costumes, different fashion things that you could buy. So, yeah, I did personally partake in 80s fashion. <laughs> and so that's a good point. So, you, you know, you, you learnt a lot from your travels and you, you would have seen, you know, you would have opened your mind, seen the world. You, you came back, you know, you've obviously established yourself very heavily in the, the world of the arts and theatre in Australia um, what do you think all that travel did for your your sense of aesthetic in your work? What do you think that you learnt that you feel like you brought back to Australia? Isn't that funny? I don't know, really. I think uh, I suppose whenever you travel, it opens your eyes to all sorts of things. Um, mm. You know, at times off, I'd go to museums and look at, at costume, you know, exhibitions. I mean, now they come to us, Dior exhibition's about to open in Melbourne, you know. But, um, I'm sorry, it's Chanel. It's Chanel, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I used to go to the Victoria and Melbourne and I'd look at their, their collection and um, see how, try and see how it was made. And I'd often, funnily enough, if the, if the um, thing was held in a glass case, I'd look more at the back of the cost of the, piece of clothing than I would at the front because I wanted to know how it was done up and how the fastenings worked. You know, so yeah. if I ever needed to do that, you know, in my work, I could do it. Yeah. In terms of Australian identity, you have worked on iconic productions like The Boy From Oz. Um, what do you think the costumes said about Peter Allen as a character or as, a, as an Australian identity? He's an amazing person. Just a little story before I answer that question. Um, I've done three lots, actually, of The Boy From Oz. I was wonderfully, I loved doing the original one. That was, I was head of wardrobe on that for two and a half years, two of the two of Australia with it. Then I had the um, fortunate moment of being able to design one, again with Todd McKenney for a, a produ- the production company in Melbourne. And then later on I was head of wardrobe for another production, a small one that um, the production company did. And it's a, it's a most wonderful show. Peter Allen I'd seen many times in concert. I was a big fan. And he was an outrageous gay man. Um, the whole Hawaiian shirt thing, which became his um, signature, um, he wore the most incredible, like, big baggy, again, 80s, big baggy pants, and, uh, huge voluminous shirts with amazing colours, often with jewels on them. Um, and 
that he was a showman. He really wasn't the most amazing singer, but he was just this showman and he had such warmth and such charisma that you just adored him. And um, mm. I love the fact that Todd McKenney became Peter Allen in my eyes. I would watch the show and I'd go, and I'd be convinced that that man I was watching was Peter Allen, whereas actually it was Todd McKenney. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing show. What do you think the costumes did in terms of bringing out that charisma? Like what role did they play? Outrageous. I think it was because they were quite outrageous and no one else looked like that. You know, it was the, it was the tying the shirt in a knot under, under the chest rather than tucking it in. Um, I think it says, you know, I'm here and even though he, it wasn't until later in his life that he came out, um, you know, he did marry Liza Minnelli for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of camp, like. <laughs> exactly. And they remained friends, you know, right through Peter Allen's life. Um, but it, it, it says that he was a showman, you know, and I love that. It wasn't just, you know, wearing a T-shirt and, you know, a black T-shirt and jeans on stage. He wore costumes in a way, even though, they, you know, clothing, it was, he was a costume person. He'd wear, you know, he did... Um, a season with the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall and white top hat and tails, you know. So when I designed for Todd, I got him a white top hat and tails and it was a pop-up top hat too. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> and going back to that sense of like bright, um, you know, very extroverted idea of how he, he presented himself with the clothes, uh, what do you think? Do you think there was a particular Australian flavour to...? I think, I think because it, it's that sort of Queensland aesthetic um, in a way, the sort of Hawaiian shirt look. I mean, when he left when he left his hometown, um, he went to the bright lights of Surface Paradise, you know, and there's a scene in Boy From Oz that, so, you know, I put the Hawaiian shirts, you know, so that it's got that sort of, you know, Surface Paradise look. Um, with bright colours and and it's funny because you often as you go north in Australia the colours get brighter the people mm. wear I'm from Melbourne I'm in black you know yeah <laughs> to Sydney it's a bit bright and then you get to Brisbane then you get to the far north Queensland it's very bright so I think that's part of that was part of this you know they used to call them the white shoe brigade in you know the the people that used to retire to the Gold Coast well Peter Allen wore a lot of white shoes. <laughs> and do you think that there is a correlation? Because it's often said that, um, you know, the, the, the colours in uh, different um, clothing across different countries is a reflection of simple things like light, you know, how light is kind of seen and, and how it reflects colours. Do you think that there is a correlation between moving from grey Melbourne to sunny Queensland? Yes, there absolutely is. I think there is. Yeah, yeah, and and then the it's interesting that I, I'm finding all of this really interesting to explore is that Peter Allen has held on to that colour as a means of you know uh, presenting a very bold personality on yeah. stage. Yeah, I think it's I think that's part of it, and that's yeah. part of his uniqueness. You know, that's why he was a world well, he was a star in America. So you mentioned Todd McKenney as as the um, alter uh, Peter Allen, and I yeah. know you've worked with 
a lot of um, icons in the Australian arts industry, like Rhonda Birchmore um, and Gina Riley. Um, what do you think pulls that kind of group of people together? Why do you think uh, that those people have become so iconic in in Australian uh, in Australian arts uh, industry? Talent. They're hugely talented people. And the three you've mentioned are wonderful people to work with. You know, they're enthusiastic, they're talented, uh, they're really great people. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it, uh, is there um, an aesthetic or a way of being that pulls them together as a group? Um, because I, 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 I'll get... No, I, don't, I don't think you can, I don't think that's something you can ask. I mean, I suppose in their personal life, but because they're all, all those people that when I work with them are playing roles, they're not playing themselves. So it'll be a different aesthetic for um, Rhonda in MAME than Todd McKenney in, in uh, Boy From Oz or um, Gina in um, Sweeney Todd. It's a different look, you know, so... Yeah. It, it wouldn't be a similar aesthetic. It, each of those thing, you know, each of those sets of costumes have a different look because it's a different story we're telling in a different time. But as as a as Australian personalities away from their characters that we see on TV, especially as someone that's grown up watching those those people kind of you know go on hey hey it's saturday or whatever it is you know that they're integrated into our popular culture uh you know there is for me as an observation a particularly kitsch element to all of them um and i you know i, I was only talking the other day about Jeannie little and you know as an australian identity and as you grow up watching that, there, there's this, this particular flavour that our kind of household names present as, even away from their characters. I suppose it is camp and it is a bit outrageous and it's um, a bit crazy, a bit off the wall, you know. Um, you look at Gina in her comedy days. <laughs> Kath and Kim. It's funny. It was always funny because I, you know, my name being Kim, working with her was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you put me through. <laughs> if I had, when that when she was on TV, you know, um, look at me, look at and <laughs> sorry, you put me through hell during that time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that outrageousness, I think, is there too. I think in all of those three people, there's a yeah. and, and honesty too. They're a very um, honest. They're emotionally honest people. They're fantastic. And and what about wit? Is it is there a wittiness? Because I I feel like they probably Very, all have wit, a sense of humour. Oh, yeah, there is the Australian sense of humour is is a, a fabulous thing. It's outrageous and naughty and you know sometimes a bit incorrect, but you know still great works. Yeah. And do you think that's what makes it all a bit kitsch? Is it, is it that twist? I suppose it is, yeah. Um, it is, and it is in a way, it's, it can be a bit, you know, as we say, a bit daggy occasionally. Um, <laughs> but that's good, you know, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like Rhonda with, you know, we talk about her, her book is called Legs 11. 
you know, yeah. and that's a signature of these leaves, which are incredible. You know, yeah. and it's like you think, you know, she's an amazing person that has these incredible legs. She's marvellous. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if wit might thread or a, a, just an outrageous talent might thread these people together, um, I know that, you know, you are very well credited for producing beautiful uh, costumes that tell the stories of the characters. but that there is always um, a twist that is Kim Bishop, that there's still your signature through that. So what I want to know is how would you define that thread? What what runs through all of what you do? I think it's interesting. I think in a way, I love, firstly, I love to do research and I research hugely. Um, and not just on the internet. I don't just Google what I'm... I actually like to go to a library and look at books because there's things in books that you do not see on the internet. And if yes. everyone Googles the same thing, you see the same result. And I don't want to see that. I want to see something different. Um, mm. I like um, to be... Re- it's it's like um, I did... I occasionally do plays and uh, musicals for Kerry Grammer at school in Melbourne, and they did... Oh, was the the um, I've got my name of it, isn't that stupid? The Laramie Project, um, which is quite a serious play, and I actually went to Laramie University um, online and bought caps from their football team, so that they cost a fortune too because they weren't ready to export them. And finally, I got them here. But it was nice to have that little detail that at least the, the people on stage were wearing, you know, the caps from the actual football team, you know, in, in Laramie. So yeah. I like to do things like that. It's like um, at the moment with Wedding Singer, um, we've got two guys in tracksuits and I found a tracksuit um, from a, I don't even know what sport it is. I couldn't tell you it's some, but it's got 1982 written on the chest. And I thought, well, the show's in 85. So yeah. probably the front row will see that, but I know it's there and the actor yeah. knows it's there too. So the, the person playing that, you know, knows that it's an authentic look that they're doing, even though it might be very colourful and a bit over the top, it's still yeah. a bit of authenticity there. And I love to do that. Do you find that you do you add that level of authenticity and storytelling through your own personal style? Oh, I don't know, really. I suppose I do. I, I wear big glasses. <laughs> I love since I've had to wear glasses, I might as well have nice big ones that are interesting. Um, and I try and I'm try and be fashionable. You know, I'm dressed for my age. Um, I suppose it does, in my own personal taste, it does shine through a bit. Yeah. How, how would you just generally describe your personal style? Um, always jeans, except if, um, you know, opening, except if I'm dressing up. But I love to wear jeans and I love um, shirts of all sorts. I love a chambray shirt. Um, I love jeans jackets. I've got several of them from yellow to pale blue. To, <laughs> yeah, I quite like that look. Um, yeah. And open nights too because um, in my industry, of course, there's a lot of opening nights you go to and I love dressing up for an opening night. Um, in fact, I usually overdress. It's not quite evening wear but a twist on evening wear with um, bright coloured jackets like a, a sequin jacket or a um, high check jacket or something or yeah. even completely black. 
with gold shoes, you know. So it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and I do love dressing up for an opening night. Yeah, so so you do have a little bit of costume to your own personal look then. And sometimes actually on opening nights I might wear something that's not quite in the style of the show but sort of. Yes, so I'm thinking, on theme. Yeah, that sort of might be a bit of a theme to you yeah. know, what, what you see at what I've designed for the stage. I might wear, you know, an orange jacket because there are orange jackets in one of the numbers, you know. But a different one, not one from the, you know, similar but different. Just giving a nod to to yeah. the performers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of, you know, generally what you've learnt from your career, uh, obviously you do do a deep dive into the research of the character and, you know, what 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 they need to represent. Having watched these productions at full scale for many years in different forms, what role do you think that the costume plays in the performance piece? It plays quite a lot. Um, It must suit the character. Um, If it's a character you're you're doing, like um, if it's a poorer person, it must suit the area that it's being performed, what part of the world it's in or if it is in the world. Um, it's got to suggest that. It's got to suggest the um, the age of the person, the uh, class status, all those sort of things, all those little bits and pieces make up the character. And often actors will say, you know, I don't feel like I'm complete until I've got my costume and makeup and wig on. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm that character until then. And sometimes you see it when the first time they put it on, you go, oh, that's her or that's him that's who I'm meant to be so it can work in that way as well yeah and then you were just mentioning that you know you have to kind of think about where it's performed you know where the the performance is being held and and um do you mean yeah I that's but I was meaning you know is is this show set in Spain or in you know in Australia or wherever it's set is what I was actually meaning but yes you do actually uh, think about where it is being performed. Um, for instance, uh, the wedding singer in Melbourne was in the Athenaeum Theatre, which is a small theatre, and the second return of it is going into the State Theatre of the Arts Centre, which is a really big theatre. So we have to fill it out a bit and um, make things like like small, intricate patterns will not be seen past about the fourth row. You know, so it's better to, for me. It's better to have a block colour and be a bit more bold with what you do, so that the people in the back row still have a look at what you're trying to do, rather than you know little, little patterns just disappear. You know, once you get about you know ten rows back. <laughs> and what about like regionally? Because obviously these are shows that are, are often taken globally. Um, do you find that you have to kind of give your own Australian twist to the production when it's being based in Australia? Well, we've very rarely in theatre and music theatre in Australia done that in the opposite direction. The exceptions being um, a production of The King and I that mm. um, went overseas that was, you know, won a Tony for Roger Kirk, the designer, costume designer, wonderful costume designer. Um, <laughs> that was very early. Um, Boy, the Boy from Oz. Although the show went, the design didn't. That wasn't designed. The one on New York was not designed by an Australian. But um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is probably the big one where 
our, the design that um, has been done here has travelled the world. Yeah. So that's... What, so why do you think that is? Well, because it's such a peculiarly Australian piece. You know, it's about the drag culture in Sydney um, and it is a peculiarly look. It was before RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, and it's, it was a very Sydney drag queen look that was exported with that show to New York and to London and it's been to Germany and all sorts of places. Um, but it is a very Australian, you know, the finale that one of the queens is wearing an opera house dress, you know, that's so, so it, that was wonderful that it went the other way rather than um, yeah. showing in Australia that, you know, have been designed overseas. And that's why I like working with David Venn, um, this new producer that's doing Wedding Singer. He wants to do shows that are designed and choreographed and directed here, which is great with Australian talent. It's fantastic. So you're currently working on The Wedding Singer? Yes. Uh, how, what, what does that look like for you for the next, like, piece? What? Um, we've got another uh, week. We've got a week and a half still in the rehearsal room. In, um, I've still got some fittings to do. We've got some new cast members and we're adding some new people into the cast at the moment, into the different scenes. So there's new costumes to go in there. Um, then we go to Sydney and have a week in Sydney. It's bumped into the show. It goes into the theatre between Christmas and New Year. We have a week to do technical and then we're up and running on the 7th at the uh, State Theatre in Sydney. And then it'll come it's to Melbourne. The 7th of January. Yeah. This interview will probably be um, published in March. So you guys will well and fully be running for that. So March, it'll be yeah. perfect. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> and, and after The Wedding Singer? Do you know what happens for you, or is it I've is it got, just? I've got a music. I've got a, a production of Mamma Mia, which I'm um, designing the costumes for for Kerry Grammer, the school again. Which and it's funny. I never thought I'd do schools, but I was asked to do it, and I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's um, it's interesting teach, and it's it, it's a great school for um, theatre kids that like theatre. It's part of their thing at that school to do it. And I've had kids that in shows before that have ended up at VCA, Victorian College of the Arts or um, NIDA or, you know, actually gone on to, to work in professional theatre. So I really like I really like working there. Yeah. So that's and, the next. and I'm also dressing on Tommy, which is uh, the old The Who musical, which is down at the Palais Theatre in St Kilda, the Victorian Opera. So, again, I'm dressing. And, again, it's another designer, local designer, Isaac Lummis, and, um, you know, it's just great to see what he does. And we all learn off each other. You know, every time yeah. you learn something, every time you start working. And and do you think that's your future is just to continue to be hands-on, you like learning um, and enjoying the enthusiasm oh, absolutely. of... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I never... You know, I'm, I, I'm an itinerant worker, really. <laughs> but I've never had a problem with it. It's like, yeah. you know, past April, I've got nothing. But something will come up and it always has. <laughs> it's like, always. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, well you're, you're a hard worker and uh, you do a wonderful job. So thank you. Um, and thank you for contributing to... Um, to my my podcast and sharing your style story today and I can't wait to see more of your fabulous uh, creations in the mix. Thank you.
you're very welcome. When you talk to Kim, what strikes you first is his ease of being, his kind demeanour and his generosity of spirit. He's a gentleman and a gentleman. But get him started on the art of costume creation and you will see his passion fly. Taking cues from his father, Kim is self-taught and it's his ongoing curiosity and commitment that has driven his success. Kim will argue he is part engineer whose strength lies in construction, but it's his kind hand, coupled with a creativity and commitment to both characters and cast alike, that define his style and his story.